We continue our series in uh, Luke's Gospel, looking today at the uh, parable of the great banquet, Luke chapter 14, uh, verses uh, 12-24. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a living word. And Jesus, we just ask now that you come amongst us, open our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits to see you and to hear you and to respond in faith and obedience to your word to us this morning. Help us, Holy Spirit, not just to be hearers, but doers of your word. Amen. So this passage is all really about mission and how to do mission the Jesus way. Um, problem with mission is it's often seen as a kind of activity, as something that's done to people. Um, and that's dangerous, actually, because mission, according to Jesus, is relational. It's not done to people. Mission is about being with people and sharing the good news in relationship with people. It's not something that's projected onto people as an activity or, or ministry even. And just as you and I build relationships with people over a meal, meal table is a place for storytelling, isn't it? For sharing uh, the day, um, all those things. So Jesus does so much mission over the meal table. You can imagine Jesus was great company, can't you, at a dinner party? Lots of I'd imagine there was lots of laughter around Jesus, don't you? Lots of stories being told, but also there were those incredibly awkward moments where the, the atmosphere, you could, would have been able to cut it with the butter knife that was on the table, do you know what I mean? And here's one of those awkward moments when Jesus goes there and everybody's probably thinking, oh no, here he goes again. He's just about to kill the fun that we were having. And he does. 
And this is the setting. It's a prominent Pharisee's house. Lots of important people like teachers of the law, Pharisees there. And Jesus tells this incredibly awkward great banquet story that would have had people shifting in their seats. To understand just how scandalous the parable of the great banquet would have been, we need to understand first century Palestine under Roman occupation. According to New Testament scholar Scott Barchi, quote, central to the political stability of the Roman Empire was the ethics of reciprocity. In other words, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You have me for a meal and I'll have you for a meal. We'll do business together over a meal because that will benefit you and I, right? It was a gift and obligation system that tied every person from the emperor in Rome to the child in the most distant province into an intricate web of social relations, unquote. I guess um, an equivalent in our culture might be the business lunch where it's not just a lunch you're having, there are benefits for both parties involved, right? You are meeting over lunch, but there is benefit to be had by both parties. And this culture of reciprocity extended to who you invited to your home as guests for a meal. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the prominent, educated, um, powerful, influential, rich people. And they only invited those like themselves for a meal. They believed in giving to the poor, in almsgiving, but the poor would have to knock on the back door and a food parcel would be handed to them. Not by a guy on a scooter <laughs> with just eat. It would be the poor person, the disadvantaged person, the non respectable person would have to kind of have a food bag handout, right? They wouldn't let them into the house to eat with them because they viewed these people as unclean and they might be contaminated with the religiously impure people if they had them in their house because they saw the meal table as a kind of altar like an altar in the temple that was only accessible by certain groups like the priests. And they thought that they would be contaminated and become ritually impure if they had the social outcast disadvantaged people around their table. The meal table in ancient Near Eastern culture was a powerful sign of of uh, groupings, social strata. Scott Barchi again, quote, mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as reprehensible. So when you get movies that talk about the table, it goes right back, not just to medieval times, but right back here. That idea of if you betray somebody that you've eaten at the table with, that is the ultimate crime. You've betrayed them and there's no way back into that circle, that group, that friendship group. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law sought to 
maintain their social status or even to advance their social status by eating with people who are educated, influential in the society. And that's why they ate. And that's why they expected a return invite. It was not just, well, you cook for me, so um, I will cook for you. It wasn't just that. It was more that business and favours were done around the meal table. If you were in this social grouping, you were going to get advantaged in society. Do you get it? It's not just a meal. The Pharisees and teachers of the law saw no benefit to themselves of eating with the lame, the disabled, the poor, the disadvantaged, the outcasts of society. No use to them wouldn't advance them, wouldn't help them maintain their social status, wouldn't do them any favours. So they fed them with handouts and kept them out of their homes. So with that background, here the radical, upside-down kingdom of teaching of Jesus. Just hear this now, how this sounds. Verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Now, I've heard this preached in a kind of superficial way, which makes me cringe, to say, well, you shouldn't be having dinner parties for your friends and family. Nonsense. It's not what Jesus is saying. Context is everything, right? Jesus is correcting the meal convention culture of his time. He's saying when you give a meal, in other words, you better start giving meals for people outside of your social grouping. Because if you don't, you are not honoring God and his grace welcome, right? So as well as feeding your friends and family, start feeding those who can't pay you back or do you any favors, right? Do you get it? Good. The parable of the great banquet shows us how to do mission the Jesus way. Um, three points I want to make. There's a surprise. The passage teaches us two ways, two ways of how not to do mission like the Pharisees and one way of how to do mission like Jesus. I like to keep things simple. Jesus used the meal with Pharisees and teachers of the law to show them just how misguided they were about God's mission. The Pharisees taught that if Jews got their act together and they kept all of the laws, the purity laws of the Pharisees, who had added six, over 600 commands, by the way, to the Old Testament law, and they had a book. In addition to the Old Testament law, they had a load of 613 extra commands that you had to keep, right? And they believed that if you kept all of these purity laws, that God's favor would return to Israel and that God would restore the nation of Israel with peace and prosperity. So it's not a bad motivation in some ways, is it? You know, keep the law, be pure, and God will bless you. It sounds right, doesn't it? And there's some truth in it, but only half a truth because the half truth is that God was always calling Israel to include others in the feast. So we see this ancient prophecy of Isaiah 25. This is what Isaiah said. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for who? 
Just the Jews? All people. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. This is a prophetic promise for the future of the heavenly banquet. And it includes all people, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, children, rich, poor, disadvantaged, influential, powerful, educated, uneducated, lowly. Everybody gets into the banquet in the kingdom of heaven, in the great feast. But the Pharisees had kind of dropped the Gentile bit out. They dropped the idea that the poor, the lame, the disadvantaged, the Gentiles could get in because they had decided that we need to focus at this moment in time under Roman occupation on the purity of Israel alone. In other words, to get the Romans out, to see God's blessing restored and occupation end, we need to focus on our own purity. It's a bit like um, Trump America first policy, right? It's all about us. It's all about us being first. Everybody else we don't care about. That's the language, isn't it? We'll get our act together. We'll get our house in order. And then God will bless us and release us from the oppression of the Roman occupation. And they forgot about Gentiles, the poor, the lame, the disadvantaged, all the groups that were mentioned in Isaiah's prophecy. They forgot about. But Jesus gives a parable to show them how absurd and offensive this view is to God. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited. That's the, that's the Jews. Come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Ridiculous excuses, insulting excuses to the whole, to the host. No one would buy land or oxen without inspecting them first. You know, the internet wasn't around then. You couldn't just click, one click, one buy, and go, I'll, 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 I'll one click it, and then I'll check it's all right later. You couldn't do that they would have inspected the oxen first. It's an absurd, insulting excuse to the host, isn't it? The marriage can't have been recent, so they're still on the honeymoon, because the, they wouldn't have invited them if they were still on honeymoon. How ridiculous is that? I've just got married. It's Chloe and James, no excuses. You've had your honeymoon, you're back now, so. No, actually, in fairness, in fairness to Chloe, she was serving and James were both helping last night set up and they did a great job. Thank you, bless you. Now, this must have been an awkward moment at this dinner party. Uh, you never have awkward moments around the meal table, do you? Not like this. Something in you don't know our house. <laughs> this was awkward, wasn't it? because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law know this is about them, that they've made ridiculous, insulting excuses to Jesus, their host. They've rejected him. They've rejected the great banquet. And this must have been excruciatingly awkward 
It's the, you know, it must have been, oh, please, he's gone there. You can imagine them shifting in their seats. Can you imagine them staring at their shoes, finding every speck of dirt on their shoes fascinating for fear of looking up and making eye contact? It was true, of course, that Jewish authorities at the time said that no one who was blind, crippled or lame could enter the, they, they did say that they, um, they couldn't approach the altar in the temple, only the priests, because they would be seen as unclean, according to the book of Leviticus. But nowhere does it say in Leviticus or anywhere else that the poor, the crippled, the lame couldn't go into the temple. Nowhere. There was no restriction on them. But now the Pharisees are kind of taking it to a whole ridiculous level. They were saying, well, we're not even going to focus on the poor, the, the, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the Gentiles. They'd excluded them. So Jesus comes along and he says, no, it's all wrong. You Pharisees and teachers of the law have rejected God's invitation to the great banquet. And now the least favoured in society are the first ones in. There's a number of lessons here for how to do mission. Number one, nobody in society is uninvited into God's kingdom. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. God's invite through Jesus is for everyone. Whatever your background, God welcomes you into his kingdom. Jesus welcomes you by spreading his hands and arms on the cross and welcomes you to come home to God, whoever you are. Not so much the nails that held him there, but the love of God for you that held him there. Our society tends to subdivide people on the basis of age, race, education, so social background, sexuality, neurodiversity, you name it, we subdivide, don't we? We label people. But Jesus simply says, I love you, I died for you, I invite you into my kingdom with open arms, open arms of love. This tells us that mission is mission to all people. Those that we find that we're comfortable with and those that we find that we're not comfortable with. Those that are respectable and those that are not so respectable. Jesus does not close the door to anybody who is seeking him. Do we believe that? Amen. We better start living like it then, haven't we? Mission by definition, is uncomfortable. It means that we are called to share God's love with those who we may find uncomfortable with their lifestyle and behavior. It will take time and effort and energy to build relationships with people at work, at university. It's costly, it takes time and energy and effort. And it's uncomfortable sometimes because we may find ourselves not approving of someone's lifestyle and behavior. And yet Jesus still wants to welcome them home and love them through us. Isn't that amazing? So don't think the mission 
is anything but messy, costly, and difficult. Because it is. Secondly, mission is about forming relationships. It's not an activity or a kind of a something that we bolt onto the side of the church, right? Well, there's our mission group. We'll leave it to them. That's not mission. Mission is about relationships. The Pharisees were willing to give to the poor, but not engage with them at their meal table, right? It's possible to do mission to people without engaging with them, right? Christine Pohl, in a book on mission, says this. This is really challenging. Quote, often we maintain significant boundaries when offering help to persons in need. Many churches prepare and serve meals to hungry neighbours, but few church members find it easy to sit and eat with those who need the meal. When people are very different from ourselves, we often find it more comfortable to cook and clean for them than to share in a meal and a conversation. Ouch. We are familiar with roles as helpers, but are less certain about being equals eating together. Do you hear the language? Many of us struggle with simply being present with people in need. Our helping roles give definition to the relationship, but they also keep it decidedly hierarchical. What she's saying is much of Christian ministry is patronizing. We do it to people. We don't do it with people. We don't build relationships with people. We just give them stuff and say, oh, we love you. That's not love. We don't share our lives with people. That's not love. That's just patronizing hierarchical behavior that might make us feel better about ourselves for a moment, but it's not the way that Jesus did mission, is it? So this is, this is I, I appreciate this is uncomfortable. People don't just want money or food. They want friendship, relationship. They need Jesus. You can only offer them Jesus when you're in a relationship with them. Otherwise, they're not going to hear you. Mission is costly, time-consuming, and uncomfortable because we get involved in the difficulties and circumstances of other people's lives, right? You say, I've got enough problems of my own, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know you have. <clears throat> but don't you think that a lost world without Jesus has got bigger problems than you, if you're a Christian? Don't you think they need your time, your love, your prayers, your relationship building? Third, mission the Jesus way, verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. There are those, unfortunately, like the teachers of the law and Pharisees who will reject God's invitation. They'll reject Jesus. They'll say, no, we don't want you, Jesus. We don't want your kingdom banquet. We don't want to enter into your kingdom. But those who believe in Jesus and who follow him will enter into his kingdom banquet today and for eternity. Don't you find this interesting that the kingdom of God is likened to a banquet? In other words, it's good news. A banquet is a place normally, unless you're eating with Pharisees, <laughs> where there's laughter, right? You know, when you get together around the meal table with friends and family, and your face is hurting because you're laughing. 
Well, this, this is the picture of the kingdom of God, what it's like to know Jesus. It, your face hurts because you're glad, you're joyful. It's good to be among the people of God. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. We were just praying and talking before the service, and we said, isn't it great to be with God's people on a Sunday? Yeah. yeah. It's a banquet. It's a banquet where God's grace and presence and joy are present. I love that. Jesus didn't hold back from sitting down and sharing his life with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, and all kinds of unrespectable outcasts because he loved them. And if the respectable, educated, powerful people are going to reject his invitation, Jesus is going to the highways and byways to find people who will accept him, right? He'll go out of his way to find others. He didn't see himself as superior to the poor, the broken, and the outcasts. He didn't cook them a meal and then sit in another room so he wasn't religiously contaminated. He sat and he ate and shared life with them. I love this quote. I don't know where it came from, but I, I love this. Mission is, quote, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, unquote. It's true, isn't it? Uh, Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says this of you and me, as well as the people who are lost out there. Quote, we are the spiritually poor. We have nothing to offer God for our forgiveness, right? We are the spiritually crippled. We were made powerless by our sin. Yeah? We are the spiritually blind. We are unable to see the truth about Jesus in our own strength. We are the spiritually lame. We were unable to come to God in our own effort and strength. You can't deny any of that, can you? If we need Jesus, if Jesus has given you and me a second chance, then surely he wants through you and me to offer others a second chance and to come home to God's embrace. If you've received forgiveness for sin, if you've been released from guilt and shame, if you've been given purpose and fullness of life and meaning, don't you want others to enter into that? Don't you? We have an invitation to offer, and it's an invitation to a great banquet. It's an invitation to sit and enjoy intimacy and friendship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the greatest host. That's good news. Will you share it? It takes time, effort, energy, and it takes us out of our comfort zones if we're going to sit and build relationships with people. I think we need to pray. I need to pray for myself for more love and compassion for the lost, the hurting, the broken. I need to be willing to get uncomfortable and go to those people, go to those places and build relationships with those who don't know Jesus, whether they're in the workplace, in the community, family, that can be awkward, can't it? Wherever lost people are, I need to show the love and compassion of Jesus, not in a hierarchical, patronizing, I'm here to do you good ministry type, type of way, but in a let me love you, let me be your friend, let me come alongside you, let me share life with you kind of way. Let's pray. 
I feel the need to repent for all of us. Lord, we repent of patronizing hierarchical mission ministry. Lord, where we've seen mission as something that's done to people less fortunate than ourselves, Lord, we're sorry. We repent of this kind of superior thinking. Lord, we are all in the same boat. We are all unable to come to you, Lord, without Jesus. We are all unable to be forgiven without Jesus. We are all unable to see and respond to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Lord, who are we to think that we are morally superior? Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, we turn away from our superior attitudes to mission. And Lord, we turn towards doing Jesus the mission way. Lord Jesus, fill us with more compassion and love to do justice and mercy in the way that you did it, Jesus, by building relationship with people. Costly, time-consuming, energy-sapping though that is. Disappointing, messy though that can be. Frustrating though that can be. Lord, would you fill us with compassion and love and mercy so that we can do justice? so that we can build real intimate relationships with people who do not know you. Fill us afresh, Holy Spirit, with greater compassion for the lost, that through us, you might issue an invitation for people to join the great banquet. In Jesus' name, amen. There was only one song really um, that I felt we should finish with, and it's this one, um, God of Justice. Let's stand to sing.
prayer for anything, please do remain in here. The prayer team will be looking out for, for people who are just staying and lingering in here and will come and just uh, ask if you'd like prayer uh, for, for anything that you're struggling with, uh, any healing that you might be seeking, any unanswered prayers that you want somebody just to stand beside you with. Um, so please do remain in here if you'd like prayer. Otherwise, start to make your way next door for tea, coffee. Let me pray and then uh, we've sung, Lord, fill us up and send us out. Lord, fill us up with your spirit and send us out into this week that we might come alongside people and minister friendship, love, compassion, mercy, justice with those that you bring us into contact with. Lord, help us to do the costly thing, uh, sacrificial thing of building relationship, sitting and eating, sharing life with people. Lord, that we might point them to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.